All right, let me, let me see if I get this started here. Today, we're going to be preaching in the book of Job. And it's going to be unfair to you guys, because my church, we've been going through this book for a couple of years, at least, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so you are now beginning with chapter 22. Unfair. So I'm going to give you a short, short, short introduction as to Job so you can get maybe what our, our pastor would deal with today. Let me open up with a word of prayer. Ask for God's guidance and lead me that I won't say nothing I ain't got no business saying. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to stand before your people at Fellowship Church with Baptist Bible Church. It's a joy for us to meet together around your word. Now we pray that the Holy Spirit of God will guide this old preacher to say things, to preach your truth without error, without compromise, and that we will obey whatever you tell us to do concerning these chapters, this verse. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. To give you a fair assessment, chapters 1 in the book of Job gives us a description of the man. It gives us a description from a description from man's point of view. It gives us a description from God's point of view of Job. And if you have your Bibles open, you can turn with me real quickly. I ain't going to deal with it. I can't open up my Bible because I'll, I'll preach it if I open up my Bible. So I ain't going to open it. But in chapter 1, verse 8, you see God's description of Job. And I'm summarizing. I'm not going to read the whole verse in, in context. Job tells us today that Job was a perfect man. Now, for God to say somebody is perfect, that's saying something. And then you go on to see that God tells us that he is skew evil, that he, uh, well, it's, it's there described. So Job is a perfect man, a man after God's heart, a man that loved God, a man that God told us and people that day that Job was sinless. In other words, he had no sin that God could point out. I find that absolutely amazing. The only sinless person is Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you say? I said I wasn't going to preach it. (laughs) Anyway, chapter 1 also tells us about Job. It tells us about theology. The book goes on to say, there was a day. When all the sons of God came to give a report. Boy, you can, you can have a good time in theology. Me and, me and oh, Cliff, Cliff is a deep thinker. Boy, he could take that and just go run with it. But anyway, the sons of God met to give a report to God. And guess who showed up? Satan. One interesting note. There were no daughters of God that showed up. 
Just think about it. Don't fuss about it. Just think about it. All God's creation are in the masculine gender. Get off that Bible if you got that she and he in there. God is masculine, and God do not apologize for it. That's free. So anyway, say showed up. Notice his name. He is already called Satan, which means an adversary. He was already an adversary. The Bible says he showed up with the angels to give his report. Theology thought everybody reports to God. Everything reports to God. Satan ain't bad, y'all think he is. I said I wasn't going to preach. He gives a report. God did an interesting thing. Although God knows everything. How many believe God knows everything? God asked him, where you been, boy? Notice the answer that Satan gives God. Now, you and I know that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Is that right? But when he meets with God, notice he didn't tell God no lie. He tells God, I'm going up and down to and fro in the earth. Didn't tell him what he was doing, but that's the way he was doing. Didn't give no details. So God then, realizing what he was doing, realized why he was going up and down in the world, asked him, a question that God already knew. Have you considered my servant Job? Now God knew that's the reason why Satan was going up and down, back and forth to the earth, to find people to go against God. So God asked me, have you considered Job? My servant, and then God gives his description of who Job was. And Satan, in effect, said, yeah, I considered him. And God told him, uh, he said, the reason, uh, and so God then, Satan then, started the chapter, the purpose for Job, is to see that Satan is trying to get Job to curse God. Satan is trying to get Job to curse God. Satan is not trying to get Job to lose his salvation. Satan is not trying to get Christians to lose their salvation. Satan's primary purpose is to get us to curse God. Now you say, I don't curse, but you can curse God by living in sin and doing all the other things you do. Satan's primary purpose was to get Job to curse God. So God started this. I don't know why, and God don't tell us why, but God says, uh, Job said, I'm saying, said, do God, does Job fear you for nothing? I mean, the reason he's fearing you because you got him hedged in. I can't get to him. You got him surrounded. Take away that protection and he'll crush you to your face. Now, you know, God knows the answer. Amen. God just could have straightened him out right then and there and said, no, he won't. And that would have settled it. Because can't nobody argue with God, though we do. 
But God didn't. God said, okay then, you take him. And everything that he has belongs to you. Satan took off. Went down to Mr. Job's house. Took away every possession that Job has in chapter, at the end of chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, Job had lost everything. So much and so that he's sitting on the ash heap outside, scraping the sores. And he says, the Bible says in verse 13, I think, Job did not curse God with his mouth. After all that Satan did to Job, Satan lost that battle or that controversy or that war or that whatever you want to call it. So, back in chapter 2, Satan don't give up. The Bible says in chapter 2, they came again a day when all the sons of God came in to give a report. Now, that's a great theology. Boy, I wish I could preach on that one of these days. I have some notes about the theology in the book of Job. That's some good stuff. But anyway, there's a second time. Don't, don't know how much time. No, no time. God didn't give the time. That ain't important. Let us know there's a second time that all the sons of God came to give a report. Interesting. Don't God know everything? I'm sorry. Do God know everything? I'm no, y'all don't believe that. Do God know everything? Why in the world do people have to give a report? He didn't tell us. And I ain't going to tell you either. Anyway, who showed up again? Huh? Who, who, who showed up again? Satan. Satan. Now, hey, now you guys are at fellowship, but you got a black preacher. And the black, to make a black preacher feel good that you listen, you got to say something. Ask Sister Lane. Sister Lane, tell you, Sister Lane preach with me all the time. But anyway, God asked him the same question that he asked him in chapter 1. Have you considered my servant Job? God knew he had, remember? Because he left and went out and took everything he had. And yet God asked him that same old question. Why? Well, some good stuff there, but I can't deal with it. Satan came and told God, yeah, and notice Satan didn't tell God what he did to Job in chapter 1. All he said was, I've been going to and fro, back and forth, in the earth. He gives no details of what he's doing. God knew. But anyway, he tells God, I'm taking too much time. So, to make a long, 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 long introduction short, God gives Satan permission. Satan says, yeah, a man may lose all his stuff, but you touch his body. You touch his body. A man will curse you to your face. God said, go ahead. But don't you kill him. I I got to say this one. Satan cannot kill a person unless he gets permission. I should get an amen here, y'all. You ain't got no reason to be scared of the devil. All he can do is make you sick. 
All he can do is take all your stuff. But he can't kill you. In fact, he can't send you to hell. Don't y'all believe he lied that Satan is down there ruling hell and getting folk down? All right, that's, I got to go. I got to get out of here. Anyway. So he goes. Chapter 2. In chapter 2, he streaks Job from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet with four boils. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a description of boils. Uh, we don't. We, we have no idea of what this affliction that Satan has that God has given Job. But it's got to be the worst kind of sickness that a man has ever experienced. Now, I'm praising that because when Job's three friends see him, he was unrecognizable. So you and I can't imagine the pain and agony and sickness that this man has soared from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet so bad that his wife came out and said, you look horrible. Why don't you just curse God and die? Again, a tool in Satan's hand trying to get Job to do one thing that all it, the whole bet was all about. Excuse me for using a bad word, but it's just a word that I'm from the country. That Job and God had between one another. That he can get Job to curse God. But Job, after his wife said, curse God and die, Job looked at his wife and said, woman, you crazy. Do we not accept the good thing from God and do not accept the bad things of God? Get out of here. Now, you got to be sick to tell your wife to get out, okay? You got to be really bad to tell your wife, get out of my face and still survive. And the Bible says, verse N, Job did not sin or curse or, or charge God foolishness. Satan lost again. Chapter 3 takes up. Although Satan has lost both times, Satan has not given up. You know the devil never gives up, amen? Chapter 3 takes place. Chapter, bottom of chapter 2, Job's three friends decide to come and visit him. Now, if you look at the bottom of that chapter, it tells you the reasons why those three friends get together. Thus going to lead us into this, this right here. Friends came over to do two things to Job. At the bottom, somewhere at the bottom, it said they came to comfort and to mourn with him. Didn't it say that somewhere down at the bottom? Two reasons why you and I are to visit the sick. To comfort and to mourn with. Amen? What are the two things we are to visit the sick for? Comfort and mourn. Do not do what verse chapters 4 through 31 tell us to do. While they came, the Bible says before they got to Job's house, they saw him looking a mess. In fact, brother and sister, he was unrecognizable with just from the sickness. 
that as they was walking toward his house, they ripped off their clothes, which showing signs of sorrow and remorse. Throw dust on top of the on top of the head as they walk, and they got to his house where he was sitting outside by the fireplace, sitting out in that as he taking stuff to scrape the sores off. The Bible said for seven days and seven nights. What did the comforters do? Tell me. Absolutely nothing. They came to comfort and to mourn in chapter 3. I mean, chapter 2. But after seeing the condition he was in, there was no words to say to comfort him. There was no words to say to encourage him. So they sit there for seven long days. Now, here you're right. If somebody come to visit me in the hospital, sitting by my bed, hospital, seven long days, ain't just looking at me. I mean, just, just, just looking at me. With all that stuff on their head and sorrow, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to get angry. They're saying nothing. God is saying nothing. And that leads me to my own thinking. That's what chapter 3 is all about. So in chapter 3, after nobody says nothing, after no encouragement, after nobody mourning with them, Job then decides to speak. And Lord have mercy. You don't want sick people to speak when they're hurting. Job cursed the day he was born. All that whole chapter 3, Job curses the day he was born. Why he was born, all that. And he wanted God to take him out. Ain't no sense in living in this condition. While Job is making his complaints, his three friends. What was their name? Elihu? What's this guy's name right here? Yeah, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. Not in that order, but they're there. Heard Job's complaint and thought that Job was blaming God. And thought that Job was mad at God. And thought that Job wanted an audience and talked to meet God face to face. And so then, verse 4 takes in. They stopped trying to encourage and start trying to fix the problem. What happens when you and I go to comfort somebody and we wind up trying to fix their problems? It's what chapters 4 all the way through chapter 31 deals with. So God has given us a glimpse at how not to comfort. How not to encourage. All those chapters, God is telling you and me what we should do, what we should not do when we come to a brother or a sister who is suffering innumerable, innumerable, badly. All right. God is getting other birds out of here. So that's what we're in the middle of it now. Verse 20, chapter 22. This has been going on 
John since chapter 4, and we're looking at Eliphaz's uh, 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 third and final response to Job. They've been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Today I want to teach you one lesson today in this study of Job. If I can get there and see, can I get going here? And I'm going I'm to, uh, here we go. Eliphaz said to Job, answered and said, Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable to himself? All along this conflict, Job had been telling them, I'm not the cause of my problem. Through this whole conflict, they're telling Job, you at fault. In fact, many Christians believe that everything wrong happened to us is our fault. Say amen. We done did something to cause all four tires to go flat at the same time. There is some sin in my life that I done did to cause these things. And so that's what their premise was. Job, you ain't righteous as you claim to be. And back and forth. So I'm dealing with this passage. Here is the lesson. I wish I had my thing here. I could say, but here is the only point I want us to see today. If you don't remember nothing, try to I'll try to bring it up at the end. Here is the point of Job 22, one through the end. One of the points, brother. It is impossible. To enter communion with God when you are in, number one, a critical temperament. It's impossible to have fellowship with God when you are in a a critical temperament. What it does is it makes you hard. It makes you vindictive. It makes you cruel. And leaves you with the flattering unction that you are superior to the person. Many people go visit the sick who is going through many trials and tribulations with a superior attitude. If I see the moat in your eye, it means I have a beam in my own eye. Every wrong thing that I see in you, God locates in me. Every time I judge somebody, I'm condemning myself. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not what, church? You see, many of us don't know what that means. We come to people to comfort them with a critical attitude. Our motives are all wrong. We're coming to straighten them out. We're coming to fix the situation that they're in. God has never called you and me to fix the problem. I'm going to repeat that because y'all didn't hear that part. God never calls on you and me to fix the problem. He called them to comfort and to mourn with them. That's your only job. That's my only job when we meet fellow Christians who are going through stuff. So stop trying to give your two cent worth. 
and trying to get them out of it. Now, I'm ready to go home now. That's my sermon. Here we go. Eliphaz began his response to Job by asking him a series of rhetorical questions. The answer to the first question shows that Job shows Job that God does not need his help in any way to do what he does and to be who he is. God does not need the assistance of man in any way, form, or fact. As a preacher, I have to constantly teach myself God don't need me. Let me do it, boy. (laughs) We need him for sure. Eliphaz insinuates to Job that God is not indebted to him because of his supposed righteousness. Some of us think that because we do good, we give our tithes, we are faithful to the church, we love everybody, that God owes us something. Y'all can't say amen to that. I'll say amen for you. But man is always indebted to God. God is not indebted to us. Let's get that right and straight, brothers and sisters. God don't owe us nothing. I'm sorry. God don't owe us nothing. He saved us. Amen. He died for us. Amen. He come back and get us. Amen. But he don't owe it to us. He did it because of his marvelous grace and mercy. Here's another quote from uh, Melvin. He says this, we glorify him, God, without actually rendering him any service. See, some of us think we're doing God a great service by being in church today. Listen to a black preacher, listen to a white preacher singing the gongs. Well, we're doing God a I could be at home watching a football game or something. We glorify him without actually rendering him any service. We dishonor him without doing any actual injury to God. So when you're sinning and doing wrong, you're not hurting God. Remember that though you can do nothing for God, he is ready in Christ to do what, church? Everything for you and me. What a great quote. So we go to verse 3. I won't get a chance to cover about 10 verses. Hopefully. So don't long, don't worry. I ain't going to keep you too long. So uh, Eliphaz then asked this question. Is any pleasure, is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous? We know the answer to that, don't we? Or is it gain to him that you make your ways perfect? Another rhetorical question. Again, it indicates to Job that God is not indebted to him because of his supposed righteousness, but that Job is indebted to God. So Job had been telling his three friends, I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty of any sin that would cause all of this bad stuff that's happening to me. That's the point. He's not saying I'm not guilty of, I'm not guilty of any sin. He's saying my sin. There is no sin in my life that could cause all this stuff that's happening to me. 
Eliphaz says, Job saying, ain't no sin to me at all. You see, people hear things what they want to hear. Even though you tell them I'm not guilty, they're going to say, yeah, you guilty or something. Isn't that right, church? We go all the way back to childhood to find something to get him guilty of. While this is true statement concerning righteousness of man and the all-sufficiency of God, Eliphaz is implying that Job is not righteous at all. You see, what makes friends so bad is that they imply stuff. Now, Job said, I'm not guilty of any sin to cause this illness. Eliphaz said, you are wicked altogether. Now, that's not the issue. But in order to win the argument, how many times the wife go back, way back yonder, to get something against us husband to prove their point? How many times the husband go way back there against the wife to prove his point? That's what's happening here. You don't want to be that kind of a comfort to your Christian friend, to your husband or wife. That is not encouragement to call a, a man a sinner. You know that's true, don't you? Even though I know I'm a sinner, you make me mad when you're going to call me a sinner. Although I know I'm one. Don't, don't that make you mad? Well, you guys are spiritual this morning. <laughs> While God may be pleased at the rightness of man, his pleasure does not make him any more who he is. Because you and I are right, because you are not living right, don't make God more godder. That's a bad word. But I'm from Mississippi. Give it to me. God is who he is. Irregardless of what we do or don't do. Do you not realize that, church? Of course you do. You, you fellowship. God is not ruined if man is not righteous. God is perfectly happy and fulfilled with or without the rightness of man. We need to learn that, church. Let's go to our next verse. Eliphaz is teaching Job, will God reprove thee because he fear you, for fear of you? Will he enter into thee with judgment? In other words, will God allow you to bring him to court? And see, some of us get mad at God because God don't tell us things. Say amen. amen. God make you broke and don't tell you why you broke. You were born in the post side of those tracks. God didn't tell you why he put you on that side. Microsoft, what is his name? Bill Gates, billions of dollars. Ray Gates, one dollar. <laughs> and God didn't tell me why. He gave Bill all that money and didn't give me none. But Joe wanted to take God to court about it.
It has now moved from asking rhetorical questions to asking, asking an accusative one. And here's where argument starts. Or uh, enter into a deeper relationship. When people that are arguing start accusing one another to prove their point. There ain't nothing we won't say to prove our points. I pulled get an amen there, but I don't ain't gonna get it. Surely God would not deal thus harshly with Job if he would truly fear God, fear him, and was the conclusion of Eliphaz. In other words, Job, Eliphaz is accusing Job of not fearing who God is. Job is not doing that. But you see, he's accusing Job for the things that he's going through. That's why you're going through everything you're going through, because you're trying to argue with God. Now, ain't nothing wrong with arguing with God. There's something wrong with expecting God to argue back with you. You can argue with God all day long. God ain't going to get mad. But when you expect God to answer you, who are you for God's answer? That's what Job is trying to tell his three friends here. The question accuses Job of not being righteous at all in the sight of God. He, he accused Job. Job said, I'm not, I'm not that sinful. He said, you ain't right at all. How many times a wife and told you, you don't love me? Or the husband told the wife, you don't love me? Now, all they're doing, basically, on something that just doesn't happen. But they tell you, you, go all the way back. You didn't love me from the very beginning, did you? Oh, boy, that make me mad right there. Make me get out that run, run out the car, jump in the car, and drive off. But I'll come back because I get hungry. <laughs> anyway, nor will God allow himself to be called into question by the likes of Job. Eliphaz is telling Job, God will not allow himself to be questioned of his actions by you. Now, folks, that's true. That, 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 that is a true statement. But it's a wrong statement because it accuses Job of trying to do that. All Job wants God to do is to tell him, All Job want God to do is to tell him why. Answer him. Eliphaz says he got no business asking God to tell you why. That's wrong. God don't care for us asking him, but God do at the end want us to accept his answers. And his answer going to be nothing. I'm sorry. Nothing. During this whole incident from chapters 4 all the way to chapter 38, God says nothing. Absolutely nothing. Even when you get down to chapter 40 and 41, God does not tell Job why he goes through what he's going through. Do y'all know that? In fact, since we got all the scriptures, God hasn't told us why he sent Job through what he... You know God don't answer to people. You do know that, don't you? Well... God does not fear the wrath of man. God ain't scared of you. 
Stop your tithe if you want to. Stop going to church if you want to. Stop praying if you want to. Stop eating if you want to. You ain't hurting nobody but yourself. God ain't scared of you and me. Sometimes we think we big shots. I'm big preacher, Ray Clark. If God don't support me, heaven going to catch on fire. God ain't scared of that. All right, let's go to verse 5. Hurry, Ray, hurry, hurry. Is not your... Now, here is another accusation. This is bad. When you get to your friend's face, my brother, look at him in the face and say, Now, ain't you wicked? Yeah, you, you, ain't, ain't, ain't you wicked? In fact, I'm telling you, you are more wicked than anybody I've ever met in my life. Now, what kind of comfort is that? Is that any comfort to know you wicked? He tells Joe, is not your wickedness great? Your iniquity is infinite. Another accusation question is offered to here insinuating that Joe was full of wickedness. And the reason for that, he said, because of your sickness. Your sickness is a witness that you are evil. Stop accusing people of being evil because they're going through stuff. Now we all are sinners. Amen. And some of us are bigger sinners than others. Amen. Edify states by this question that Job has sinned greatly and that there was no end to his constant wickedness. Again, now this is Job's three, one of his three bestest friends coming to your face and telling you, Brother Cook, you are rotten as rotten could be. You have always been rotten. And that's why God is sending you through all the things that he's sending you through because of your rottenness, ness, ness, ness. That's a bad thing to tell a friend that you came to comfort and to mourn with. Now, remember that that's the only reason it came. But because the arguments erupt into accusations. That's why the Bible tells you and me when we're arguing with one another, agree with your adversary. Because sooner or later, you're going to say stuff that you ain't got no business saying. Is that not true? Hurry up, Ray. Okay, I'm trying, I'm trying. In other words, Job had lived his whole life in sin and committed evil daily. So we go to verse 6. He tells Job, thou hast taken, now he go another accusation of Job. You have taken a pledge from the brother, from thy brother, for nothing. Stripped naked of their clothing. Now he tells Job, not only are you a wicked sinner, but now you're just robbing folk. You see, accusations never stop. Elphad now began to state that what he believed to be the sin of Job. Now, now, he tell, now he's getting really judging here. Not only do he thinks Job has sinned, now he names Job's sins. He accuses Job with sins against humanity. 
In this verse, he states that Job has taken unwarranted interest from people, taking goods, especially clothes, from the poor and dead. We love to pick on the poor and dead, too. Eliphaz has no proof, absolutely, church. Eliphaz has no proof of any of his accusations. They were all assumptions that he made about Job and the reasons for his sufferings. Do not be a comforter to trying to fix the problem and putting the problem on the people rather than God. What Job Eliphaz could have said was, God brought this in your life. I don't know why. Amen? Yes. But we, you see, we, when we go to comfort, we think we got the answers. In fact, we don't think we're doing a good job unless we give somebody some answers. You know that's right, don't you? You go to the hospital room or something, and, and all you can say is, I had nothing else to say. And you feel so bad, but when you're going... Come on, you got to straighten out that sin, and you're like, we feel, we done did our job, amen? I'll hurry up, Ray. Verse 7, thou hast not given water to the weary to drink, and thou hast withholding bread from him. He goes on now to continue against Job. He is charged with not providing bread and water uh, to the weary traveler. Back in those days, they didn't have hotels. And when people traveled the roads, they would stop at your house. And you are responsible to put them up. Can you imagine living in that day, a total stranger come to your house and you're supposed to, hey, honey, get some bread on the stove. Uh, bring the fat calf and let's feed this. Don't even know him. That's what the custom was in Job's day. And it was a sin. Considered a sin have travelers come on the road hungry and thirsty and you don't provide for them. Now you and I don't even speak to travelers. I'm going to say man. Especially giving them some of our goods. Because we believe that once we feed a traveler, he'll never leave. <laughs> say Amen. Uh, that's why we don't share our funds because if we share one time, they'll come back. Say amen. amen. But in Job's day, it was considered the wrong thing to do to provide help for the needy. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Verse 8. I'm going to stop at verse 10, so give it to verse 10. 10 minutes. As for the mighty man, he had the earth, and the honorable man dwelt in it. Here now he tells Job, he changed his subject just a little bit to state the fact that Job at one time, looking at Job's sickness, sitting out there on that heap creep and all messed up and thanky and dirty and itchy. Now he said, Job, at one time, you were a powerful man. Look at you now. At one time, Job, you had wealth and great influence throughout the land. Look at you now. Now, I ask you, is that comforting? That ain't comforting to tell me where I was, to look at where I am now. Just like telling a person that done got in debt and lost every dime he has, and somebody come on to you now, 
The reason why you broke. Look at you now. How many times have you heard millionaires and basketball players, millions of dollars, five years later, broke? How would you like to go to his house and tell him, look at you now? That is not comforting, is it, church? Eliphaz is not a comforting. Don't want to be an Eliphaz. I'm not pronouncing the name right, but you know who he is. Hurry, hurry. Eliphaz suggested Job that Job had the means to influence mankind, especially poor Nita, but he did not do it. Eliphaz also may be implying that Job favored the wealthy and the powerful person and paid no attention to the poor. And many of us are like that. Me and I come to your house. Oh, you bring out the steaks and eggs and everything else. Poor people come to their house. Go around the back door. If I can find something, I'll give it to you. He accused Job of treating the rich special and treating the poor like dirt. Be careful how you and I judge people. Be careful how you and I judge people. All right, hurry up. I've been saying hurry for a long time, haven't I? I'm coming to the end. Here we go. Thou hast sent widows away empty. The arms of the fatherless have been broken. Again, Job is accused of unjust dealing with the poor and needy. This time, this time it is the poor widow and the orphan. Now, these are all accusations with no proof whatsoever. Ever. But to prove his argument, he got to put Job in a bad, bad light. That's why you're going through what you're going through. Look at you. I'm going to name some of the stuff what you're going through, and I'm going to tell you something. Nobody knows why you're going through what you're going through. Nobody knows why you're going through you're going through. Even Brother Cliff, with all his wisdom, you come to him and tell him what you're going through. He ought to tell you, I got no answer for you, but we can pray together. Amen? Amen. No man knows. So stop going to men for answer and go to who? God. I'm sorry, go to who? God. Come on, Rep. Bepsis, who do you go to? God. Stop relying on men for counsel. You wind up in serious trouble. Job is accused of not coming to their aid, the, the wood, uh, widows and the orphans. Instead of helping them, he inflicts more pain and suffering on them. Ah, the, the end. Say amen, church. Boy, y'all, y'all were too excited on that one. Therefore, snares, now he's telling Job. Therefore, in light of what I've said, a lot of my accusation, that's what the therefore is there for. In light of what's going on in chapters 1, verses 1 through here, in light of what I said, here's the problem, the answer to your problem. Look at it. Therefore, snares are surround about you, round about you. Sutton fear. 
trouble you. Darkness that thou cannot see. The abundance of waters cover thee. Now quickly, I'm going to give an illustration of what these terms mean. And then we'll be closed. Eliphaz states that considering Job's treatment of his fellow man is the reason for all his personal pain and suffering. He is surrounded with snares, darkness, fear, drowning in the waters. These terms are expressive of the kinds of pain and suffering that he is now with. So I'm going to give you a quick illustration here, and here they are. Job, the snares means that there is no escaping. You're trapped with this sickness and, and illness, and there is no escape for you. Folks, that is wrong. You may be trapped, but there's always an escape. Darkness, there's no enlightenment. Joe was upset because God wasn't showing him any enlightenment. And in fact, God was up in heaven, so to speak, doing this. God wasn't saying nothing. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, you love God with all your heart as Job did? Serve God, sacrifice for your children and all that, and gave you all, and then when trouble came, you... God says nothing. You tell about being alone. That's exactly what Job was at. Eliphaz is correct. He's trapped. He's in darkness. He don't know what's going on. He has no answers. And then thirdly, ain't no peace. No inner peace, no outer peace. God has him in a bad way. Say amen. God has a way of putting you and me in bad ways. I wish y'all would be here when I get to chapter 40, and that would put a whole good, but you're going to have to invite me back. (laughs) And then he says, the waters, which means trouble, After trouble, after trouble is in this life. As I end, I'm going to try to go back to the very beginning because this is the only thing I want you to understand. Do not be this kind of a counselor. Let me see can I get to the beginning. Uh, uh, That's why I wanted my computer up here so I could just get to it. Oh, that's too time. That's too much time. Cliff, how do you get to the beginning? Get me to the beginning, brother. That first slide. That's it. Do not be this kind of a counselor. It's impossible to enter a right relationship with God and with your fellow Christian if you got this kind of temperament. God allows 20-some chapters to show us this truth. 
when you and I start judging people for why they're going through things, when you and I try to fix the problem that only God could fix, we wind up impossibly in communion with God when you are in a critical temperament. It makes you hard. It makes you vindictive. It makes you cruel. It leaves you with flattering unction that I'm special. And a superior person to you because you are going through this and I ain't. If I remember this, if I see something in your eye, you know I got something bigger in mine. Every time I judge, I condemn myself. When we get down to chapter 38, God will convict these guys of condemning Job. You don't want to go to people condemning them, looking at their situations, and then drawing conclusions of your own. Bad counselors, Job's three friends proved to be. Father, bless your word to our heart. May we learn the lesson today that when Matthew 7 says, judge not, that I be not judged is a true statement. Job chapters uh, 4 down through this end gives us a clear picture of that teaching of that verse. Not to judge other people because we become victims of the same judgment. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Hoping something was said that will glorify you and edify us. In Jesus' name, let us all say, Thank you, brothers and sisters.